0: Hey, I'm Lisa, and welcome to In Pursuit. This episode is a part of a series called The Postgrad. The Postgrad is a series in which I sit down with recent graduates who are navigating life after graduation. To be honest, this journey is different for everyone, and there are so many programs, internships, and positions out there that can help you grow and develop as a learner, professional, and person after undergrad. I hope the experiences of these various guests highlight them as well as other things you can immerse yourself in as a recent graduate. Again, welcome to the post-grad, and I hope you enjoyed the episode. For today's episode, I sat down with Isabella Seno, who is a recent UIowa alum. She graduated in the spring and had so many plans in place for her post-grad experience. She was going to study a Fulbright, which is not stopped but on hold, and she had an internship for the summer, which she goes into. but that being said I think my favorite thing that she said was that you can still do everything right and things will go wrong and it's not a reflection of your character or your capability and that is so powerful and it really has been a quite the journey for her and it's been quite the test on her ability to think quick and develop something new and develop something that can be received in this current climate and so she goes into how she has navigated this post-grad life during a pandemic and there are so many people out there who have just had their plans fully failed because of what is going on right now and I think the way that she has navigated that and the way that she speaks about it is amazing and so even if you're not in the post-grad era of life I think there are a lot of takeaways from this episode and I hope you enjoy this conversation just as much as I did. Hello.
1: Hello. You want to start off by introducing yourself? Sure. I am Isabella Seno. I'm a recent graduate from the University of Iowa. I got my degrees in anthropology and psychology, so I got a bachelor's of science in anthropology on the gender and culture track and a bachelor's of arts in psychology. I also got a minor in Spanish. While I was at the University of Iowa, I was also the programming assistant for the Women of Color Network and Iowa New Leadership, both of which are programs run by the Women's Resource and Action Center on campus. (laughs) I also did several other things, led student organizations, wrote for the paper, and did um, various other things around town. <laughs> I am a Latina. I grew up in Evanston, Illinois, which is right outside of Chicago. And I guess another fact about me is that I'm the eldest sister in my family. <laughs> How did you uh, get involved in
0: like the Women of Color Network and just all those things you mentioned doing programs and were you always interested in being a program coordinator throughout college? And did it start in high school? And my
1: question Yeah. So when I was in high school, I did the newspaper actually all four years. So when I went to Iowa, I thought I was going to be a journalist. (laughs) Turns out I'm not a journalist. (laughs) I joined the Daily Iowan my first semester on campus. And I realized that everyone on the staff who was like super passionate about being there was a was going to be a career journalist. And (laughs) I look at them and I look at myself and I was like, this isn't for me and that's okay. So Mm -hmm. I decided to explore other paths. I kept writing for the paper for about three years, but not as my main thing. And I knew that I wanted to do something around equity advocacy, striving for more diversity, equity, and inclusion across campus. I did that as part of Student Advocates for Planned Parenthood. And then I actually, joined the Women of Color Network as a just a student, not a programming assistant, and went to a couple of the events, made a connection with the main coordinator, who is Jessica Padilla. She offered me the position, uh, for an interview for the position. So I sat down with her the summer before my senior year. We talked it through, decided I would be a good fit, and then I went on from there and did a, an entire year with the RAC.
0: That's amazing. My first question would be, do you still write right now being out of college and you said you love journalism originally and also what would you advise someone who wants to enter uh, student organizations or just organizations in general that are aligned with their passion and how did you get involved so fast
1: and um, so intricately? Sure. Uh, well, to answer your first question, I do still uh, write. A lot of my writing is like for my own personal enjoyment. It's a hobby, uh, not a career. So I do things like uh, I write uh, short stories and poetry and share those with my friends. I also actually write for part of my Dungeons and Dragons campaign because I'm a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I also do um, research and writing for a local defund policing organization. So I'm still volunteering, but over Zoom right now. And then with regards to your second question about getting involved with student organizations, I went to the student organization fair my freshman year, and there's like 500 tables there. (laughs) It's very overwhelming. So I signed up for a bunch of things on their mailing list, and then never went to any of those meetings freshman year because turns out when you sign up for like 25 mailing lists your inbox just gets super full and you keep missing emails (laughs) um so sophomore year when I got back to campus I wanted to be more intentional about it so I went through the org sync website and looked at all the student organizations and like looked at some of the social media for the ones that I was interested in and narrowed it down to uh, one group, Student Advocates for Planned Parenthood, because it aligned with my own personal values and it felt like the kind of place where I could find my people, (laughs) find people who were also aligned with my values and who seemed super cool and super nice. So then I grabbed a friend because I was a scaredy-cat sophomore year, grabbed a friend, went to a meeting and just stuck around, never left, loved it so much. So I'd say just... Do your research a little bit ahead of time if you're going to go to the org fair uh, go in with a little bit of a plan or an idea of the kind of organization you want to kind of look at if an organization turns out to not be for you don't be afraid to say you know what this isn't for me and pursue something else
0: Mm -hmm. And so you kind of mentioned that you working with a defunding the police organization and what are some other values that you really hold close to you and how did you advocate for those while you were on campus and how do you continue to do so now that you're a post-grad?
1: My advocacy lens has kind of changed a little bit because of current opportunities available. My geographic location has changed. So when I was in Iowa, I did work uh, with reproductive justice and healthcare equity and that kind of thing for three years, uh, mostly working with Planned Parenthood. Um, So I started out in that organization, Student Advocates for Planned Parenthood, as a just a regular student member and moved my way up to president of the organization. So spent three years with them doing educational work around campus, handing out lots of free condoms you might have seen us walking downtown, (laughs) lobbying in Des Moines and... Uh, just doing that kind of advocacy work. I also did other work related to kind of sexual health curriculum with the RAC. I was a member of a UISG subcommittee doing research and legislation kind of advocacy around K-12 sex education in Iowa and making sure everyone has access to comprehensive sex education. And I also did work with LEAP and the RACtivists, which are both groups run by the RAC, which advocate against domestic violence do community education and all that kind of stuff. So, lots of reproductive justice stuff. (laughs) After I had to leave campus during spring break because of COVID, a lot of those opportunities shifted in their scope. I finished out the year with Student Advocates for Planned Parenthood, leading the group through Zoom meetings and whatever else we were able to do virtually, Um, but it was a very different atmosphere. And then when all the Black Lives Matter protests started up again, I realized that I could get involved with the youth activists in my area, and transfer my uh, advocacy skills into a different field, (laughs) as it were. So I got involved with a group called Defund EPD. I found them through Instagram because I was looking for local advocacy efforts to get involved with or to donate to. I found them, messaged them several times, (laughs) and got invited into their core group. So now I do work with them.
0: And you wrote a letter in June, was it, as well? You want to talk about that a little bit?
1: Sure. So that is actually the second letter I wrote. The first one was less appropriate for the Daily (laughs) Iowan. So in June, I wrote a guest opinion in the Daily Iowan. I knew the editor of the paper personally because I had worked with her on the politics team when I was a reporter. So I messaged her and I was like, hey, I have this essentially this draft written up, could I submit it as a guest opinion? So she said yes, I went through that process, got it published in the paper. And it was about essentially holding the university administration accountable for divesting from ICPD, um, which is the Iowa City Police Department, Coralville PD, and the Iowa State Patrol after they had tear gassed peaceful protesters, (laughs) and had kind of given very paltry excuses for why they had to resort to extreme violence. So I wrote that I wanted to use my voice from afar to help the community that had meant so much to me for so long in Iowa City. And I knew that as an alum, I still had power over the university administration because I was able to activate my own networks to essentially make some noise because The university does depend on alum in some regard to uphold their reputation, to donate back, to give back, to kind of maintain the legacy of Iowa. So if enough of those people make noise, then there's probably going to be some positive change, hopefully.
0: For anyone who doesn't really know what defund the police means, or maybe they kind of have like a negative idea of it, how would you explain the positive implications of defunding the police?
1: Sure, well, first, that question i'm not an expert by any means (laughs) i'm not an expert everything that i've learned about defunding the police and this kind of work has been the result of black advocates and black educators and activists and everything like that especially black women so um just gonna put that out there but the positive implications of defunding the police essentially mean removing a lot of money and power from a system that has not been held accountable for its extreme corruption for several centuries at this point <laughs> and has been allowed to operate essentially without any kind of backlash when is someone is the the survivor or victim of police brutality among other things so defunding the police essentially means removing some of the police budget because often for cities the police budget is one of the most inflated parts of that budget and moving that money and those resources to other services in the city or the local area which have actually been shown to reduce things like crime and poverty over the long run so things like well there's a siren so the hospital system is another great example so moving money into local uh, community health care efforts or to the education system to reduce education disparities moving things into things like uh, restorative justice efforts happening at the local level all of those things which are currently underfunded because the police is overfunded.
0: Mm -hmm. That was a really well articulated response and thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of moving on a lighter note, you mentioned your volunteer work and just what you're up to, what else are you up to post-grad and how has that shift been since COVID and
1: what were you first going to do and then what are you doing now? Well, COVID has thrown a wrench into several plans. <laughs> um, this summer, I was actually one of the finalists for a brand planning internship with a marketing firm in Chicago, so they had to cancel that program because of they were no longer had the budget for marketing interns. And then I was supposed to start my Fulbright program in late August, early September-ish, but that has been now pushed back to January. So I am left essentially floating in the middle for the meantime (laughs) because there's no guarantee that i will be on a plane in january because of Mm -hmm. the entire global pandemic (laughs) Uh, so in the meantime i have been pursuing freelance work so i actually just accepted a contract to be a freelance social media marketer and website manager for a local business Uh, which is very fun and exciting. I get to use my skills to help a local business. And like I mentioned, I do volunteer work, advocacy over Zoom. I also recently launched my own private tutoring business called Isabella Seno Tutoring, where I offer private tutoring and pod sessions for those in sixth to 12th grade and college undergraduates. So I am trying to operate under the assumption that I will be on a plane in January, but in the meantime, making contingency plans in case that ends up not happening. Mm -hmm how has that process been for
0: you and having to adjust and find new things like how has that taken a toll on you or maybe you brought up new things like your tutoring services and just you being able to launch your own businesses how were both the negatives and the positives of having plans change
1: i'll start with the low so i can end on a high <laughs> So the negatives include, you know, the general stress that comes from trying to do anything right now in the middle of a pandemic, you know, putting yourself out there and realizing that opportunities may be a bit limited right now is definitely a scary thing. I'm lucky enough to have a relative amount of privilege. I recognize that, or I am able to stay home and try and work as much as I can virtually. So I'm very grateful for that it's just, it's like a weird time right now. (laughs) It's, it it can seem very doom and gloom. I've been trying to talk more with my friends and like, you know, we all reassure each other and support each other uh, because we're all in the same boat right now. Essentially, we've all just graduated and the opportunities that we had lined up have essentially vanished in the blink of an eye. And it doesn't seem like there's any new ones coming down the pike anytime soon. So we're all kind of floating, like I said, floating in the middle. (laughs) But it has been really just kind of heartwarming to see how the resilience of community in these times Mm -hmm. and how the relationships that you established pre-COVID have been the ones to sustain you during COVID. So the friendships that you made, the professional connections that you have, the family that you rely on, all of those have become increasingly important now and increasingly valued in my opinion. Like I am incredibly grateful to have such a strong network in my family and friends circles to support me in whatever capacity I may need. So another positive is that it, it's really taught me that I gotta be faster on my feet. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I was pretty quick before, but I had to gain uh, several new skills or like strengthen new skills very quickly. So I learned how to build a website. I learned how to market locally here because I've mm-hmm. done marketing work in Iowa City, but I learned what the market was here very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am learning more to put myself out there in different ways and I'm also learning the fallibility of plans because the best laid plans oh they can go very wrong. (laughs) I enjoyed a high amount of success in university. I was a a top student, I was the leader of student organizations, I won a Fulbright grant and things still went wrong for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I'm trying to make it work. So I mean, I'm going to use a Star Trek quote because, because like I said, I'm a nerd. <laughs> like, you can do all things right and still fail, and that's okay.
0: Congratulations on all your achievements, primarily. I don't know if a lot of people know what Fulbright is, and so I just want to say congratulations. That's a really big deal. And do you want to explain what that process was like for you and how it's going to be shifting to a January start? hmm
1: Hopefully. Sure. Hopefully, fingers crossed. <laughs> Everyone in the audience, please cross your fingers. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Fulbright is essentially a program run uh, through the US State Department where scholars and students are sent abroad to, I think like a hundred countries, like several countries to kind of promote diplomatic and cultural exchange uh, across Mm -hmm. those national boundaries. So the kind of grant that I won is called an English teaching assistant grant. So that means I will be uh, traveling abroad to help teach English in my host country, which is Spain. And I will hopefully be going to a university in the Canary Islands in January to help with the English instruction of university students. Mm-hmm. So helping teach English at the university level, it is a very rigorous application process. <laughs> Boy, does it pull you through the ringer! but it is, it, it's, it's an interesting one. I had a very non-traditional path towards applying for the Fulbright. Most people start their application several months in advance, but due to a variety of circumstances, I didn't start my application until about six weeks before it was due So it was a whirlwind. My sister was the one who actually pushed me to apply and who encouraged me when the going got tough. And I am very thankful to her for doing so. So it is a couple, it's a couple of essays. You need letters of recommendation, all the general things that go into an application. And then there is a campus interview. My campus interview was, again, very non-traditional. They essentially disparaged my application and my skills as a person but I walked out of it decided to go with my initial gut instinct and submit the application that I had already written and that I was proud of right so I turned it in and turns out it was good enough for a grant (laughs) that's what the Fulbright is as a program um, that's what the application process is it's like a general overview and also a little bit about my own personal process as well.
0: That is amazing and I love how you spoke to trusting what you originally wrote and trusting what you wanted to submit and following through with that.
1: Yes um, it was definitely a, a difficult decision because um, It was a tough interview and I compared my experience to other uh, applicants who I knew across campus and they were like, why did they do that to you? That's so mean. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But at that point I decided to like really think about my application and think about what kind of person I wanted to present myself as. If I wanted to present myself as like who I was on paper or if I wanted to speak to like a fill in the blank application. Uh, or fill in the blank person that the committee would probably have preferred me to turn in. Mm. So I decided to stick to my guns and turn in an application that represented uh, me and who I was and my experience at that point in time.
0: That is amazing. Um, Thank you for sharing that story. I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you regret not doing in your undergrad experience and maybe some things that you are really proud that you did and you went out and accomplished and glad you did so.
1: So in terms of regrets, I wish I had gotten involved on campus sooner. I don't think that I was in like the right headspace to get involved. So I think it was good that I got involved when I did. And I don't regret necessarily getting involved a little bit later uh, because freshman year can be very overwhelming, as I'm sure many people know. But I wish that I had made more connections earlier on like in terms of talking with other students in class or maybe attending a few student organization meetings or that kind of thing even if it didn't work out like it was worth a shot I also wish that I'd been able to take more classes (laughs) um and the only reason I didn't is because they stopped me. Um, I was already at the max amount of credits and they were like, you can't do this. I'm sorry. Because I wanted to somehow cram like a third major in there because the social justice head of that major was like, you should consider this. You're, you seem like a great fit. And I'm like, I would, but I don't have time. <laughs> um, oh my God. Also number one, top tip. I wish that I had slept more. <laughs> that is like my number one regret was like not, taking care of myself like as a as a human right uh, first a lot of the time because I was putting schoolwork or professional obligations or just social obligations first and like I wasn't taking the time to respect my body and like what I needed mm-hmm. so I wish that I had slept more and I wish that I had just honestly taken more yoga classes <laughs> <laughs> because those like really helped calm me down they helped center me back in my body and like approach work with a refreshed mind and I also wish that I had taken up more rock climbing at the gym because that is like a great another thing like yoga for me where it's like a physical opportunity to like unplug a little bit from all the things that I did because I think at one point I was working 50 or 60 hour weeks (laughs) Uh, which I don't recommend don't do that (laughs) um so get more sleep the university has mental health like counselors they're not Oftentimes, they're not through UCS. UCS is University Counseling Services. They deal with very specific things. But they also have something through Student Health and Wellness called stress management people. And those people are great. Because guess what? (laughs) I had a lot of stress. And I wish I had managed it better. (laughs) (laughs) My... I think it was like the beginning of first semester senior year I finally made an appointment and went to go talk to a stress management person and I was like wow I wish I had done this like three years ago. Right, right. So definitely like taking care of your mental, mental and physical health. In terms of things that I'm really proud of I definitely pursued a lot of opportunities that I would have been previously very like timid about or like oh should I do this is it worth it am I good enough so the Women of Color Network was actually one of the big ones um, like going to that first networking event at the like old brick church (laughs) and meeting new people that's actually how I got involved with the RAC as a student volunteer for like three different organizations my junior year because I went to one event and I talked to one person and they were able to kind of point me in the right direction, provide some really solid advice, and just kind of put me on the path to where I am now. I'm also very proud of the fact that I was able to lead an upper level gender studies class as a guest lecturer. And I was able to present at the uh, Women's Summit as well, using a very similar presentation. Both of those things would have been, in all honesty, very scary to freshman year Isabella, who was brand new on campus and was like, oh, my God, what's going on? But when I was able to present and I had to apply for those opportunities, I had to put myself out there and be vulnerable and say, this is my intellectual work is is it going to be accepted? And I was able to present as a guest lecturer. It went very well. I actually got stopped on the street the next day by one of the students saying like, oh my God, your presentation was so cool. And I was like, you're so cool. (laughs) Um, The Women's Summit was a fantastic experience as well. And I was able to kind of talk, share a little bit about my story and have other people share their story as well in small groups. So both of those things are things that I am very proud of to this day.
0: That is amazing. And it sounds like you were able to go through all these things because of the networks that you made early on. And you spoke to having those networks continue throughout the pandemic and having those people still support you. And I would like to ask, how did you best network and how would you advise to best network and have people in your life, like deeply rooted relationships that will continue Mm -hmm. throughout your post-grad experience?
1: Yeah. So my kind of networking tips are just to honestly talk to the people in charge. (laughs) Like in order to be a volunteer at the Women's Resource Center, you need to go through a volunteer training. So I went to that training and while I was there, Jessica Padilla was also there who I'd met like once before through the Women of Color Network. And I approached her again personally and I was like, hey, it's me again. (laughs) Hi, I'm Isabella. I really want to get involved with your network. (laughs) Um, uh, Can we talk? So I was able to sit down with her, talk a little bit through the network, not as like a formal interview or anything, just to learn more about what she was doing. Mm -hmm. And I got enough information that I decided it was something I did indeed want to pursue more thoroughly. And she knew my face and name at that point because I had talked Mm -hmm. to her one-on-one. So talk to the people in charge. Don't be afraid to ask questions. I used to think for a long time that asking questions was like something that you didn't need to do if you were... Quote unquote good enough, but that's a dumb mentality. Questions only make you stronger. So, asking questions, talking to people in charge, and asking what your peers are up to as well. Because if you're in like a student volunteer group or you're in a fraternity or sorority or anything like that, those people also have networks that might be able to help you out or link you up with something. For example, you're doing this really cool podcast. (laughs) You're like a year younger than me. You're my peer. And I wouldn't have known that if you hadn't messaged and reached out to me. So yeah, I think those are the top three tips. Also make sure your LinkedIn looks good if you want to network professionally. (laughs) I think those are the ones that I have so far. I... Personally, got very lucky with networking because a lot of my professional networking post graduation was the result of Jessica at the Rack because mm-hmm. she had her own network and she is a person who loves to connect other people. So I was very lucky to sit down with her and get a list of names together. Oh, also, if you attend a panel or like a virtual webinar or anything, write down the names of the speakers and see if you can add them on LinkedIn and then message them because then you can say, Hey, I just saw your talk on so-and-so, I'd love to sit down with you more and talk about what it means to be the head of a nonprofit. (laughs) Right. So I think that's another tip that I have.
0: I love that. I love reaching out and following up with the people that you just saw because sometimes you're like, okay, I've seen what they had to say. (laughs) But I would like to ask you, where do you see yourself in five, ten years post-COVID and post all the uh, contemporary anxieties surrounding this pandemic? Where do you want to be?
1: Yeah, I don't know if I can give you an answer for 10 years down the line, because then I'll be, I'll be what, 32? Oh my goodness. (laughs) But I think five years down the line, I'd like to have finished my Fulbright in some capacity, or if not, done like another educational opportunity here. And I don't, I honestly, I can't give you a concrete answer because I'm still trying to figure it out. I thought I was going to have a full year to kind of essentially figure out my life, (laughs) uh, Fulbright, but that. Dematerialize because at this point I don't know if I want to go to graduate school right away. The average graduate student in the United States is, I believe, around 33 years old. So um, that might be part of the 10 year plan, not the five year plan. But I think that I would like to do some kind of community education or advocacy work, very similar to what I did at the RAC. So putting together educational programming for individuals whose communities might be not always put at the center. And if they're offered at the center, not always put at the center in a positive way. Mm -hmm. And if that doesn't go well, I would like to pursue marketing or brand planning because those are two areas where my degrees are uh, useful (laughs) and sought out. (laughs) Um, And I already have experience and interest in both of those things uh, through working with digital communications and social media at the RAC. And I think that no matter what I end up doing in five or 10 years, I will continuously push for diversity, equity, and inclusion in whatever my work is, whether it be in the nonprofit sector or in the business sector, because even if I don't know anything else at this point, I know that those are core values that I hold that I can't imagine myself diminishing or giving up at any point.
0: That is amazing. And thank you for coming on and sharing your story and your passions and your pursuits. I loved everything that you said and I'm really
1: excited to share this. Yes, um, I am very excited to hear it as well. Um, And yeah, it was great to be here. Thank you for your time.
0: Thank you. Before we go, do you have a top book recommendation that you would like to share?
1: I do, actually. My top book recommendation that I've been recommending to people since like a sophomore year of high school (laughs) is um, A Tale for the Time Being by Ruth Ozeki. It is a story that you can keep learning from over the years, and it it holds something for everyone, whether you're a high school student or a senior uh, citizen, and it really tells you about how to value your time and how to value your relationships, which are both um, things that I hold dear. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for having me. It was wonderful to be here.
0: I really enjoyed it and thank you for your time again. And that was my episode with Isabella. I hope you guys loved this conversation just as much as I did. And again, I think she spoke so well about so many different things, such as the Fulbright or even explaining how defunding the police really affects a community. And again, I loved this conversation. I think she is amazing. So let me know what you thought over on my Instagram on the post about this episode. And I will see you next time. Bye.